Hello and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. Today we are going to look at mental health and psychosocial risks at work. Every year on the 10th of October, we mark World Mental Health Day. This year, the World Health Organization and the ILO have sounded an alarm, calling for concrete action to address mental health issues. Their data has estimated that 12 billion working days are lost every year through depression or anxiety alone. This is costing the global economy almost a trillion dollars. What's more, it seems that the COVID-19 crisis and the lockdowns and disruption that came with it have made the mental health situation more acute. So, what can we do to improve mental health in the workplace? Joining me to discuss this are Nina Hedgard-Nielsen and Susanna Harkonnen. Nina Nielsen is joining us from Copenhagen in Denmark, where she is Chief Policy Advisor on Occupational Health and Safety at the Danish Confederation of Professional Associations. She is a qualified occupational psychologist and international consultant on occupational health and safety, specializing in psychosocial risks, violence and harassment, workplace representation and working time. For more than a decade, she's worked with the Danish trade unions and the Danish Labour Inspectorate, looking at psychosocial risks in workplaces. Susanna Harkonnen is with me in our Geneva studio. She is founder of Inner Work. That's an umbrella grouping of professionals and companies working on all aspects of mental health. She's a member of the WHO's Pan-European Working Group on Workplace Mental Health. She has master's degrees in counselling psychology and business administration and advises organisations and leaders on psychosocial health and safety at work. Welcome to you both, Susanna and Nina. Thank you very much for joining us. Let me start by asking you, why does this issue matter? Susanna, let me start with you. The numbers around mental health are quite staggering. So depending on the statistic, depending on the source, it can be anything from um, 30 to even 90% of people who have been impacted by mental health challenges. And now when we talk about mental health, we are not talking about mental illness. We are talking, we all have mental health just as we have physical health. And then there's mental health and mental ill health. So it's important to make a difference. But at the moment, many people are unwell. None of today's stressors are normal. And yet there's more than 90% of staff who wants to work for a mentally mentally healthy organization. This is in particular the case with the younger generation. So we can no longer ignore this. Nina, I have seen statistics that say that more than half of all the working days lost in the European Union can be linked to work-related stress and that depression alone is estimated to have cost the EU 600 billion euros. Do you think that's accurate or is that an overestimation? Well, I think it's accurate or maybe an underestimation, actually, because there are so many people that are infected by stress uh, and uh, and by mental illness. And often uh, people, when they call in sick, they won't say that they're, they're sick because of uh, of stress. They may say they have the flu or they may have a sore throat or just say nothing because it's it's still a stigma and it's i don't know anybody who doesn't know anybody in their family or in their close relation that has been ill with stress it it is a huge problem so so i don't think it's an understatement uh, i think it's an understatement not an overstatement actually 
Susanna, you work a lot with um, private clients and with organisations on workplace mental health issues. Can, can you give us some examples of, of some of the, uh, the ways this has manifested itself? In, with individuals. Individuals, often it's, um, it's related to working hours. Tends to, it's probably the biggest one. Too long, uh, there's no limits. Um, holidays, you still have to clock in or you're expected to. You're not officially expected to, but in actual practice, the company culture, organizational culture supports it. Um, and so that's probably probably the biggest one or the work pace as well. And then one which I'm seeing increasingly is that individuals are getting frustrated because the companies are saying one thing and doing another. So the public discourse says, oh, we care for our employees, we care for their mental health, but nothing is being done in actual practice. That makes people very angry and very upset. And actually, there's a recent research about this, and uh, um, resentment and anger are the prevailing emotions among employees in the workplace. And do you think that COVID-19 made this worse, or do you think the the levels that we're seeing now, were they always there and we just didn't notice until after people became more aware of these issues because of COVID? I think that the issues were already there before COVID, and COVID just made them visible. It may have exaggerated those in, in a couple of areas, but by and large, they were definitely de- there before that. And I'm glad that they are, we can now speak about them because before COVID, even mentioning stress to, to organizations was a little bit of a taboo. And tell us a bit more about some of the things that cause psychosocial problems, psychosocial risks at work. Well, in the reason WHO and ILO report the, the recommendations on mental health at work, they identify 10 risks. So, uh, for example, we already mentioned work, uh, working hours and work pace, work schedules, um, control of, of one's work, environment and equipment, um, interpersonal relationship at work is a huge one at the moment because when people are unwell, they have a hard time relating well and then emotions may come to the surface that are not very constructive. Their role in organization is one of them, career development is that's being stalled. Um, uh, and then homework in, interface is a bigger and bigger issue at the moment because of COVID. How do we navigate that, world, uh, that space? For some people, it's a positive thing. Uh, for some, it's not. And it's hard, you know, the, the companies are still struggling with finding the, the right balance with uh, home, uh, working from home and working in the office. I mean, there is, of course, a culture in some organizations whereby, you know, the quality of your work and, and the quality of your dedication to the organization is measured in the the amount of hours you're prepared to work and the amount of personal commitments you're prepared to give up for your employer. Nina, you're a labor inspector. Is this something you've come across? Yeah, yeah, yeah def- definitely. So, so also you come across what we can call uh, shadow work, where you actually have uh, workers staying longer on uh, working in their breaks, not saying that they do the some extra uh, work because they don't want their managers to tell them not to, because this is the meaning of their work to do this. And this is it usually occurs in, in in sectors where you work with people like patients or students or citizens, where you just feel that you spend too much time on uh, bureaucratic uh, procedures, registration, or, or just have too much to do, so you can't you can't give the care to the patients if you're a nurse that you you feel that you have to give, and then your work just loses the meaning. And I think that's an, one thing to add to the list. I completely agree with the list ILO and 
WHO has made. But I think the meaning of work is also really, really important. The fact that you, when you leave your workplace, you feel that you've done something that actually makes a difference. And that makes people ill when they're not capable of doing that. And in, in a, on top of that, if you have a manager that pressures you or you have uh, co-workers you don't have time to speak to or you, you, nobody seems to understand you, you, you don't get any autonomy or control of your work, uh, then you have the cocktail that really makes people ill. Now, I can hear managers and employers saying, well, you know, we can't regulate for stress and mental health. Some employees are more prone to it, some are not. It's not an issue for us. What would you say to that, Nina? Well, I would, I would say two things. Things First of all, uh, you say that people are different. That's basically what they're saying. They say that, of course, uh, because we are different and we have different personalities, we have different skills, uh, uh, we have different mental health, then we can't regulate because it's basically an individual problem. Uh, and to that, I would say, look at, for example, when how we regulate chemical substances. Here we say uh, that if one in a thousand, just to give an example, uh, can develop cancer for being exposed to a dangerous substance, for 40 years and eight hours a day, that's quite a lot. Then that is too much. Then we need to regulate and we need, we need to lower that limit value. But of course, you also have different genetical makes up. Some people get cancer, some don't. That is also an individual difference. It's not your fault. When it's an individual difference in your psychosocial or your, your, your mental makeup, then we say it's your own fault. And, and that's, I think that's basically a problem. And, and that is what we're trying, that is what is changing now. And I'm really happy about that, that you're trying to change the concept and saying it's about the environment. It's about the, what you are exposed to, the hazards you're exposed to in the, in the psychosocial working environment. And those you can regulate about. So that, that was my first point. The second point is we have countries that done it. We did it in Denmark in 2020. They did it in Sweden 10 years ago. Belgium done it. Uh, there are other countries all over the world that's done it. And what you do here is that you pinpoint uh, those risk factors that Susanna mentioned before, also you pinpoint them in the reg regulation. You say that your workload has to be manageable within the time. So you can't put more workload or more tasks on people than they have time to do, for example. It's not a limit value. You can't do that, but it's, it's pinpointing what is actually, uh, what is that you have to do as an employer. You have to make sure that this is safe and healthy. And that also gives the labor inspector the means uh, to go and inspect this. And I've done that myself and you can do that. You can make improvement notices saying, well, this is just unhealthy because the workload is too high or th there is a mobbing going on, there's harassment going on, there's violence or threats of violence. It's unclear uh, objectives, it's unclear job demands. You can make improvement notice or you can even fine employers for not uh, actually dealing with that. So, so it's definitely possible. It's a little bit different from what we do when you look at the physical uh, occupational health and safety, but you can do it and you can, uh, and thereby you can avoid saying it's the individual's fault, basically. It's important that organizations build an in enabling environment. So there are basic three steps that companies can do, like organizations. This applies to both. First of all, they need to prevent harm. It's employer's duty to prevent harm, just as Nina said. So there are, there are this list, there are checklists, there are wonderful resources for companies to, to go after. Then the second step is to protect and to promote. And the protection and promotion is, you know, the strengthening of, of awareness of mental health issues, of stress, and also training of especially managers. 
Because there's a huge, this is the biggest gap perhaps in organizations at the moment that the man- managers don't know what to do and they've been thrown into the role of mental health providers, counselors, when they, it's absolutely not in their skill set. Yeah, it's easy to dump everything on managers and say it's poor management, but maybe they need to be given the tools to do this. They do. And, and if you look at business schools and training, for example, there's absolutely nothing around these topics. Now it's coming slowly in some of the leading business schools, but I, I work in this space as well. And, and it's quite shocking, actually, how little it's, is being done in this area. So you cannot, the, the line, blind cannot lead the blind. But to go to back to that model, the three-step model, so prevent, one, prevent, two, protect and promote, and three, support. Support those who are unwell, who have actually mental ill health rather than mental health. And with that package, you create an enabling environment. And I have seen this in practice when when organizations embrace this model, it does make a difference. It doesn't happen overnight, but the culture will change. So it is a cultural change as well as specific measures. It is cultural change, yes. Is that one of the signs of a healthy employment organization, would you say? a culture that respects and values and looks out for for mental health? Yes, absolutely. And younger generation really does want to work for organizations that are are healthy. I totally agree with the training of of managers. And I think just to give you some uh, idea of also what we're talking about, we have uh, been doing this in in, in the Danish trade unions uh, with two collective agreements. And we have completely oversigned what you say that's just too, too many managers who wants to join these courses then we have uh, seeds basically so it's it's so popular because the managers themselves are saying we want to deal with this but we just don't know how because it's it's not that easy give us some help so i think also as trade unions and as uh, social partners we should also do this together uh, and and to make sure that that there is a possibility for managers to get this training because it, it matters what the training is about also uh, in, in my perspective it's really important to train the managers in the psychosocial risks and how to organize work in a healthy way. So you shouldn't expect them, like you say, Susanna, to be like mental health uh, counselors or, or, or doing like therapy with their workers. No, no, their job is to uh, to organize work and to, to make a good in- environment where people cooperate and support each other. Uh, so I think that, that is the focus for the management training. But I think that managers at the moment are the most stressed group in workplaces. So I mean, I, I've seen some statistics where 96% of managers or leaders feel burned out. Over 70 have experienced depression. More than over 60 no longer want to lead. I mean, these are, these are shocking statistics. And my experience is the same as Nina's when I work with managers or I train them. There's a certain level of desperation saying like, we have to be everything for everybody and who's taking care of us. So they are passing down the stress to to the lower level employees. So what is what you mean that actually this is a message that has to come right from the top, what is often called the C-suite or senior management? Yes, this this change does have to happen at that level because otherwise you you throw this at managers and especially HR is, is caught between the rock and the hard place these days. They They don't have the means, they don't have the budgets and they are expected to do one miracles basically with with nothing so all very little let's put it that way so um so I, i'm advocating absolutely it's very very important that c-suit embraces this and sends a clear message and in those organizations that i have worked with where the c-suit is behind it 
the culture is different and the managers are also, even though it may not be perfect because there's no perfect organization, it's still much better. Right. Let me put to you both a, a final question. What I'd like to know is whether you think we really are at a moment of change. On the one hand, COVID-19 has brought to the fore um, issues of mental health and workplace. On the other hand, we are going into what look like very dire economic times when companies and employers are going to be watching every penny. So, are we really at a moment of change for mental health in the workplace or is this a false dawn? Uh, Susanna, let me start with you. I think that we are the, at the threshold of an industrial revolution 2.0. We can no longer ignore this. The stresses that we have around in, in the current world, we cannot ignore them and mental health has to be improved if we are to survive as, as organizing. Nina, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what we have to do now is we have to look more about the work we're doing and the priorities we have in the workplaces, because are we doing the right tasks, basically? Are we doing too much? Are we doing the wrong things? Because if we have to save money on one hand and also protect people's men or the workers' mental health, that is completely necessary. Uh, so we may look in into a few years where where things will not get better, not just at, at these next few years. But I think after that, I think we're going to see a change uh, because after COVID-19 and after this crisis, uh, I think we've learned so much. And like Susanna says, we cannot ignore it. So we will start working on it and and, and maybe finally start to realize that that uh, the psyche and uh, has also limitations it's like we say, oh, we can just put a little bit more on top of a little bit more on top. You can do a little bit more. You can do a little bit faster. And we know that the body can't do that. So so why is it that we keep thinking that we can do that when we look at, at people's mental health? That's a great note to finish on. So uh, Nina Nielsen and Susanna Harkonnen, thank you so much for your time and your contribution, because that's all we have time for in this show. Thank you, too, to you, our audience. And I hope you will join us again soon for another ILO Future of Work podcast. For now, goodbye.